Gordon, I, I am disappointed with you. Because? I thought you were going to talk about uh, Waku Waku. Oh, absolutely. Yes. How can yeah. I not talk about Waku Waku? It's Friday, October the 1st. Yes, we're in October, otherwise known as the seventh month of Coalition Talks. <laughs> yeah, that's And right. this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darroch, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Dire Straits Dictator. And with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and British Museum Meme Connoisseur. So Gordon, uh, you went to the supermarket and all yeah. of a sudden you uh, you got a very bloodthirsty thought. Uh, in I, your I, mind, I just had you? a very bad experience that I frequently yeah. have um, when yeah. I'm in Dutch supermarkets <laughs> or in fact anywhere where the radio is playing, uh, because um, this this is a running thing that I I have uh, since I've been living here, which is that if you you can't let a week a week cannot go by in the Netherlands without uh, without Sultans of Swing playing on the radio somewhere. So Sultans of Swing. That yeah. uh, Dire Straits song that was just like completely ubiquitous in about 1980s, um, <laughs> uh, which is feels like a long time ago. But I get cus- I get catapulted back to it on a regular basis because Dutch radio stations are still constantly have, don't play any music that was recorded after 1989, basically. No, that's right. Yeah, and especially the Sultans of Swing. Uh, yeah. Ever since you uh, you 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 mentioned it, I uh, started to yeah. notice indeed that it it is almost yeah. a, the 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 favorite song of Dutch radio stations. Indeed. So yeah, yeah you hear it all the time, uh, and you know, especially this, you know, in one of these playlists that supermarkets play and other, because they th- feel like it's a neutral song, right? Because you hear it yeah. so often on the radio. But you know, if you um, hate it as much as you do, <laughs> then <laughs> you get. Con- confronted by it uh, 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 very regularly so but you what was what was the thought you had when you were in the supermarket <laughs> when you heard it because that uh, was I, I think I might have tweeted that um, no no because <laughs> because not only was the song playing in the supermarket this is the thing but I heard two people two separate people <laughs> whistling along to it so um, and my, my thought was uh, that these are going to be the first two people against the wall when the revolution comes exactly yeah when so, your revolution <laughs> comes yeah yeah yeah, yeah when I'm king of the world yeah I, 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 I think, think my, my kind of my, my my dislike for this song has just grown in the last 10 years because I, I didn't hear it yeah. for about 15 years, you know, <laughs> and then suddenly it's it's everywhere. Now, I blame the top 2000, yeah, basically. Definitely. All these songs yeah. appear in the top 2000, yeah. and because they're always in the top 2000, the radio stations kind of feel obliged to keep playing them, or they think this is what the people want to hear. Because the top 2000 is a massive exercise in collective nostalgia, and that means that radio stations never move on with their playlists, and we're all stuck in this kind of 1980s time warp, yeah. which is dreadful. Yes, so, <laughs> poor you. Um, yeah. And uh, what's been going on at uh, the British Museum then, uh, Paul? Well, I noticed uh, this week that uh, I saw many memes passing by that were related to the British Museum. Uh-huh. Um, the first one I saw was uh, at the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Usually people take photos uh, with with that tower, you know, pushing it over or no, yes, push, yeah, n- yeah. not pushing it over, or pushing holding it straight, it up. Yeah, yeah. holding it up. Uh, and there was one um, uh, photo of two guys who uh, who had positioned their rucksack 
uh, on the ground as if they were trying to uh, push the leading tower in that rucksack and the caption right. was the British Museum you know doing their thing because you yeah, know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the yes, British Museum yes. has this long history of, <laughs> yeah. of, of stealing uh, yeah. uh, beautiful Go- going around the world from. and stealing everyone's cultural artifacts exactly yeah. and mm-hmm. then a few days later I saw another meme and it was uh, uh, there was a photo of two guys at the Pantheon in, in Athens in Greece and yeah. they were it was positioned in such a way that it, it, it looked like they were carrying it with it one was at the at the front and the other guy was at the back and it looked like they were carrying it away and again the caption was the British Museum uh, taking stuff away and uh, <laughs> this was even more uh, appropriate because you know the British Museum has the uh, the uh, how do how do they call it the um, the marbles, uh, uh, the the the, um, the Elgin marbles. Yeah, uh, yeah. and they or, are as they're called. Yeah. yeah, and I think they are actually coming from the Pantheon in uh, uh, in Athens. So that was an yes. even. Uh, yeah, the, the great thing is that they're actually named after the person who stole them. Oh yeah, really? The, 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 well, the, <laughs> Lord Elgin. He's he's the guy who brought ah, them back from Greece. You know, so that's okay. why they're called the Elgin marbles. Uh-huh. I guess it's like naming the uh, the gold bullion that was stolen by the uh, train robbers after the train robbers or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Or rename a uh, beer brand into a hall later. <laughs> something like yes. that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I saw this uh, I saw a number of these uh, of these British Museum memes uh, uh, during the week and I really enjoyed them because they are very funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think you can probably make the same memes about uh, the Rijksmuseum, right, in Amsterdam, oh, yeah, because totally. it also had has a lot of uh, uh, artifacts from around the world. So, yeah, it, it applies to Europe in general, not just the British Museum. But yeah, but I think the British Museum kind of specialises in it or has, definitely. Uh, has the yeah. reputation. Okay, well, t- talking about uh, culture and heritage and pomp and pageantry and all that stuff, um, what is this week's Ophef of the Week, Paul? Yeah, the Opeth of the Week comes from Princess Amalia, the mm. Princess of Orange, as her official title is, turns 18 on December 7th of this year, and that means that she will be old enough to sit on the throne. And to mark that special occasion, a book about her was written by historian Peter Reewinkel. And that caused some Opeth, because in this book, he uncovered that in the year 2000, the government responded to questions from Parliament that in the event an heir to the throne marries someone of the same gender, he or she has to give up the right to the throne. Then Deputy Minister of Justice Job Cohen reasoned that a same-sex marriage would undermine the hereditary essence of kingship, since no children can be born from such a marriage. The government's position hasn't officially changed since, but VVD MPs asked the cabinet if this is still the uh, official opinion, and Prime Minister Mark Rutte will have to respond in the debate about the budget of the royal household in two weeks. Yeah, it's an interesting debate because, you know, it happened... Uh, this, these questions were asked one year before gay marriage was legalized, in the Netherlands, so I assumed there was a public debate about that, and one of the MPs just thought, you know, what happens if the king wants to marry someone of the same gender? And, uh, uh, yeah, it has never been um, uh, corrected, so yeah, this is still the official uh, position of the cabinet. And, uh, right. and of course, Mark Rutte has to speak on behalf of the king, doesn't yeah. he? He, he? He formally takes responsibility for all the king's decisions, so whatever the king, I guess he's going to go and ask, ask the king about this, and whatever the king says to him, he will have to uh, represent that position in parliament so that could yeah. be interesting yeah. and i think this is also more a a, um, a religious debate and a, uh, because you yeah. know uh, 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 there's only one prerequisite of, of of a king of an heir to the throne who, who, who who's going to marry he needs to or he or she needs to ask permission from parliament and yeah. uh, if that is given if that's granted then every child that you know comes from uh, f- from that marriage on in a legal way is yeah. a legal offspring <clears throat> so following that reasoning, 
every child uh, uh, from that marriage would would also be eligible to the throne. Yeah. But if you follow this reasoning from a monarchical or a religious point of view, then uh, is a child that, for example, adopted also the rightful heir to the throne? Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's. Um, I never yeah, thought about uh, it, but it is an interesting debate, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I, I guess we've never had um, an adopted child in a royal family, have we? It's just like, because... Yeah, well, back in, Prince back in the past, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. No, that's um, a different story. That's a different story indeed, yeah. Yeah, but back in the past, it was, yeah, the, the, well, you know, um, when in more primitive times, should we say, in, in, in Europe, yeah, uh, yeah the, the whole purpose of the monarchy was to keep perpetuating itself, and there was only one way to do that. But now there's all kinds of ways you can have children legally. And yet we're still sort of stuck in this mindset that um, the king and queen can only have um, a you know, legitimate child uh, by yeah, uh, by natural birth in a in a marriage, which yeah, uh, kind exactly. of seems a bit antiquated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there was more Oranje um, Ophef uh, this week because uh, the heir to the throne is traditionally interviewed by a heavyweight journalist on the day he or she becomes of age. Uh, Willem-Alexander yeah. famously admitted in his interview when he uh, turned 18 that he personally felt the monarch's role in the formation process had to stay in place if he was ever expected to sit on the throne. And ironically, it was exactly that role that was taken away from Queen Beatrix a year before she abdicated in favor of Willem-Alexander in 2013. Uh, Amalia, on the other hand, will be interviewed by a comedian, Claudia de Bray, yeah. someone who isn't seen as a uh, tough interviewer. So, yeah, it seems um, some felt it was a little bit of a break of tradition. Yeah. You know, uh, 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 usually the heir to the throne is asked tough questions uh, about all sorts of things. And uh, Amalia will be interviewed about horse uh, back uh, riding. So, yeah. So, I it's guess. A, it's, it's, uh, or, or maybe, well, yeah, or maybe Cloudy Dubai will sing a song um, about uh, <laughs> about her, her her part in in, in in a famous miscarriage of justice case. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Maybe she as she did with Maris de Hunt in the David Moore <laughs> exactly. track. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. This week we bring you up to speed with the latest developments or non-developments in the quest to form a new government. Coronavirus infections passed a new milestone. The international drugs trade is back up to its pre-corona production levels. <laughs> and Yumbo takes action to combat the misery of loneliness, which hopefully doesn't involve playing more <laughs> dire straits. We uh, start the political news with Deputy Economy Minister Mona Keiser. She gave an interview on Saturday to the Telegraaf in which she uh, was highly critical about the new Corona Pass system. She said she had great doubts about the use of the QR code pass to gain entry to restaurants, bars and theatres and said the system was unexplainable. That's a small constitutional problem, though, because the cabinet speaks with one mouth. So technically, that became the cabinet's official position. Uh, following her interview, Kaiser was sacked by Prime Minister Mark Rutte, who said in a statement her comments were not compatible with the decisions recently taken by the cabinet. Her interview undermined the unity of the cabinet, Rutte said. And also the timing of the interview was very bad because it was published the very same day the Corona Pass system came into effect. Mona Kaiser, who was also an elected MP, announced she will also give up her seat in the Tweede Kamer and leave national politics, but she will remain a member of the CDA party and not um, switch sides to uh, Pieter Onzicht. Um, it wasn't the first time Kaiser caused controversy. In December, she hinted that high street stores such as HEMA could remain open, even though the cabinet had implemented a hard lockdown from shops selling non-essential products at that time. And it was, of course, Mona Kaiser who had tested positive in March, which prompted then for Kenner Kaisa Alungren to leave the formation talks in a hurry, accidentally showing the infamous Funksy Elders notes to photographers as she was stepping into a car. So yeah, Mona Kaiser is actually 
if you if you look at it, Mona Kaiser is the uh, is the source of the of the of the entire seven month delay that we had seen in the formation process. Yeah, it all started with her, and it it's all started come, with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah so it's come back to round to her in a neat circle. Yeah, it's it's really strange because Mona Kaiser is uh, a member of the cabinet now, but she's also an MP. And that also applies to uh, Carola Schouten, Agriculture yeah. Minister. She's also an MP. Uh, and uh, if we take a look at the Corona Pass system, it was they voted uh, the Tweede Kamer voted for it uh, last week. Yeah. The CDA voted in favor. ChristenUnie, which is the party of uh, uh, Carola Schouten, voted against it. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, Mona Kaiser did everything she she could to have it pass, but only afterwards uh, criticized it. But yeah. still, she has to go. While uh, uh, Carola Schouten, uh, or, or actually Carola Schouten Party, voted against um, the Corona Pass, and she can stay on. So it's yeah. a really it is know, yeah. It's hard to explain, isn't it? I mean, the, the, because um, the cabinet have said, or Rutter well, and Hugo de Jong have said that uh, although they are a, a caretaker government, a demissionary government, that on the issue of Corona they are still a functioning government. So then you wonder, and the Christian Union are still formally a party in that coalition, and yet uh, Carlos Cowton, as you say, and the other Christian Union MPs voted against the Corona Pass, which was a cabinet, which was a coalition policy. Um, and there were no consequences, yeah, which I makes it look they, as if the coalition is really just kind of hanging by very thin threads. Or as yeah. Rutter said a couple of weeks ago during the budget, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Or as um, uh, Sigrid Kaag said, it is a rusty car. Carole yeah. Schouten wasn't present when the Tweede Kamer voted on the uh, QR pass law. So you could argue that she individually didn't uh, block it in any way or try to block it. But, you know, her party did. Her, the rest of her party voted uh, against it, while Mona Kaiser's party voted in favor. So, yeah, it's just... Um, uh, 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 it's interesting to see that Carola Schouten, who you know, didn't do everything she could to have it passed while Mona Kaiser's party did. Uh, the latter one is the one who, who needs to go and uh, Carlos Schouten can stay on. Yeah. This demissionary phase that we always talk about, this caretaker uh, 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 period, yeah. uh, it is a constitutional twilight zone because, you know, you have all these... MPs that are ministers and uh, that are also, uh, you know, uh, uh, holding the the government to account, and yeah, it is it is a uh, it is a maze and it is a very gray area and yeah. uh, very hard to explain indeed. And you know, usually when when you have a, a formation process that only takes a couple of months, then that doesn't really matter because you know you have a, you're going to have a, a new government very quickly. But yeah, now uh, we have uh, almost a yeah. What is it? Nine, uh, when did they resign months. in January? Yeah, it's been yeah. it's been it eight months. Yes, they resigned. It's nine. Yes, it's eight, getting on for nine months. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it is uh, it is getting conf more more and more confusing ever. Uh, uh, with every passing day yeah it's, it is getting more of a problem as these interim periods get longer because it's becoming more complicated to form governments and at the same time of course during this uh, caretaker period uh, we've, we've passed another miles, milestone uh, because um, I think uh, Rutter's cabinet has now had the most ministerial resignations of any government I'm actually surprised that they uh, they hadn't had broke that record uh, a long time ago to be honest but yeah um, yeah, but yeah, but, but but as ministers keep leaving and being replaced, you have to ask yourself how many how many ministers can you know, how many ministerial positions can change 
change hands before it's not really the same cabinet anymore. Yeah. Uh, so this old theatre started with Monica Kaiser and it's now come back round to her. And speaking of things going round in great big circles, <laughs> how is the formation process going? Yeah, well, how much time do we have? Because this week was really a roller coaster. Um, it all started in the weekend when D66 leader Sigrid Kaag told party members she was willing once again to look at a majority cabinet of six parties, uh, including the ChristenUnie, uh, in an effort to break the impasse. This this uh, uh, variant is now called the Rotterdam variant because that's also the uh, coalition that uh, the city council in Rotterdam has. Um, Kaag earlier ruled out, of course, the ChristenUnie because of fundamental differences on medical ethical issues. And on the other hand, the other two parties of the engine bloc, CDA and VVD, have ruled out a combination with two left-wing parties, PvdA and GroenLinks, who uh, wouldn't join a coalition without one another. The previous informateur, Mariette Hamer, had therefore concluded the majority cabinet was impossible and advised to investigate a minority coalition, which uh, became the job of the new informateur, Johan Remkes. But Kaag's comments and an interview with ChristenUnie leader Gertjan Segers in Algemeen Dagblad, where he softened his stance against deze sister, opened once again the door for a new round of talks with all the six parties on Monday about a majority cabinet. And that's uh, that has always been the preferred outcome of all the engine block parties. After a 10-hour meeting, however, no definitive conclusions were drawn. Remkes told journalists afterwards that the talks would resume on Wednesday, but that the options investigated by his predecessor were indeed off the table. He wrote in an invitation to nine party leaders on Tuesday that all variants of a traditional majority cabinet had been exhausted for the moment and that it was also impossible to come to a traditional minority coalition. And that left only two options new elections or something called an extra parliamentary cabinet wow an extra parliamentary cabinet they started with this core of three parties and then they invited kind of three more parties uh, to come along along and uh, try and form a majority coalition or a minority coalition Um, and then when that didn't work they brought in another three parties um, and suggested an extra parliamentary cabinet so yeah, we're going to get to. I think by the end of this process, half the population in the Netherlands will have been invited to talks with Johan Renkers, basically, <laughs> yeah, uh, and to join yeah. his extra parliamentary cabinet. So, what yeah. is an extra parliamentary cabinet? I really don't know. <laughs> but luckily, we don't have to bother because it's not an option anymore. Phew. No, uh, yeah, I think an extra parliamentary cabinet. I mean, you, we, we had, uh, I believe it was on Monday and Tuesday, everybody started to talk about it. But what it basically is, is that it is um, a very loose, uh, uh, you know, usually you have uh, a, a group of parties that write a thick coalition agreement where they detail every um, uh, every policy plan, every yeah. uh, plan they have. Um, they wanted to avoid that. So uh, it would work only in a very broad um, uh, ag- agreement, uh, yeah. a very thin agreement. And therefore, you need this broad uh, group of parties that can agree with that. And that was yeah. why he invited these nine parties to, yeah. to this meeting in order yeah. to, uh, to to get that. Also, a prerequisite of this um, uh, extra parliamentary cabinet is that you have ministers of different parties uh, yeah. that would um, uh, suggest that you know parties are not bounded by this coalition they can still vote in favor or against uh, 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 policy proposals and bills uh, if they if they please but because yeah. they have uh, ministers 
of their own party in the cabinet, they are committed to this cabinet. So not bounded, but committed to the yeah. To. And if they vote against uh, a coalition policy, then that, that 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 then is deemed to be a cabinet crisis, and they either have to form a new cabinet or have a new election. But you it, don't have that kind of cabinet discipline in an extra-parliamentary cabinet, right? No, because it's so yeah. broadly supported yeah. in parliament, loosely supported, that if one party decides not to uh, 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 not to go, get along, you still have uh, uh, enough parties to to still have this uh, this majority. And also, this is um, from a, uh, a new leadership, uh, a new uh, administrative culture point of view. This is a, is a is an ideal. Um, option because it would mean that you really have to the cabinet really has to talk and debate with parliament in order to get support and it's no longer that you have the coalition parties that decide everything and the opposition parties stand along and, and look at it without having uh, much of an influence you have the entire Tweede Kamer participate in this process but and also other prerequisite is that you have actually parties that want to cooperate and I do think that we have a lot of parties in the Tweede Kamer you know, we have 19 factions, and I think at least eight of them are not willing to yeah. uh, constructively cooperate. So, yeah, that's also, uh, uh, I think that would also become really a problem with a extra parliamentary cabinet. That, that is yeah. because you just simply have so many MPs that just don't seriously want to work together. A big talking point this week was that uh, coalition agreements tend to be dichotimit, so yeah. nailed down, and that because uh, they're written in such extensive detail that, um, yeah, the, uh, as you say, uh, the coalition has basically made the decisions before the laws are put to Parliament, and Parliament's opportunity to scrutinise and amend and change is, is too limited. So the idea was they had a, um, a, a concise uh, version of an agreement, so a very, a, a very uh, really just a sketch or an outline agreement, yeah. and then uh, that would give uh, MPs uh, more opportunity to have input into how laws are made. I've got a sneaking suspicion it's not going to work out that way, and that no. having more parties is going to have more detail and more kind of um, preconditions but uh, we'll see and let's be realistic here you have 19 factions in the Tweede Kamer that means you have 19 wishes and opinions if for every bill and every proposal and every policy change you're going to need to talk to 19 different people about it I mean first of all who has the time and on the other hand in a normal uh, coalition uh, uh, process you have all the talking before you have the coalition and in the extra parliamentary uh, cabinet you're just going to postpone all this talking, this endless talking, to a later stage. But f for now, this is not an option that we're going to uh, 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 need to worry about because Kristenuni, CDA, D66 and VVD have agreed to start negotiating a restart of the current coalition in a very surprising yeah. uh, move, uh, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, this uh, yeah, shocking development uh, might have been contributed by a misstep by D66's spin doctors. Uh, after the failed meeting on Monday, they spread a rumor that Remkes led the talks in a confusing way and suggested he might even have uh, drank too much. After this spin started to backfire in the media and on social media, the party's senior spokesman Dan Bonenkamp was forced to rectify the uh, rumor and told NOS he didn't mean it that way, adding that there was no reason to doubt Remkes' professionality. Basically admitting that you know this this rumor uh, came yeah. from from Deza's assessment. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they circulated this idea that he was drinking on the job 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was an exceptionally nasty spin by the DSSS, the spin doctors, according to other parties, spin doctors, were widely quoted by the media. I mean, <laughs> I really like this dynamic, right? Um, yeah. You have this little <laughs> scandal and the journalists, they go to the spin doctors of the other parties and they... Yeah. Uh, yeah, are are shocked and <laughs> and horrified by this nasty spin of of Deus yeah. Sister. Yeah, all of a sudden there's like a coalition of spin doctors against uh, Deus Sister. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They suggested that it didn't uh, improve Kaag's negotiation position, and also when Remkes arrived on Wednesday at the meeting, he was visibly irritated. He told journalists he didn't have time for flower curl. Uh, as he entered the building, and he also complained about the weather. And I don't know if oh. the embarrassment of the alcohol rumor really led to Kaar's U-turn, or it was simply the danger of new elections. But the fact is that on Wednesday, uh, in the meeting, she told Remkes that she was finally willing to start negotiating a coalition with the current four parties, uh, uh, basically giving in to the wish of Rutte and Wopke Hoekstra. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, she had said earlier in the week that she was lifting her blockade on the Christian Uni, wasn't she? Yeah, I mean, but only, uh, so but only, but only if that means that meant that uh, uh, we would get the six-party coalition, the the Rotterdam oh, yeah. variant, uh, yeah. and then um, uh, in the meeting she was asked by Remkes, uh, "Do you um, are you willing to look into a minority cabinet, so CDA, VVD?" And deze sister with the gedoogsteun of uh, of Groen, of ChristenUnie, she said, "Yeah, I'm 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 uh, I'm willing to look into that." And then Remkes asked, "But if if you are uh, positive about this idea, why not just ask uh, ChristenUnie to join the coalition as a um, uh, 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 as a full coalition uh, partner?" And then she yeah. said, much to the horror and the shock of. Uh, PvdA who links were also present there. She said, "Yeah, actually, I uh, I can see that happening." So that was when uh, Kaag really made her U-turn, and that was yeah. when um, uh, uh, yeah we have this uh, this this four-party negotiation um, coming up. Yeah. Uh, so there we are. And of course, what, what, on the one hand, you had Dayson uh, Zestuk uh, blocking the Christian Union for a long time. The yeah. other option was always uh, with uh, PvdA and Groen Links. So, uh, and that was uh, kind of blocked by Wopke Hoekstra and Mark Rutte. Uh, so they seem to have got their way on the face of it. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, I do think that you know, if PvdA and Groen Links would have uh, at some point lifted their demand that they wouldn't go into the coalition without one another. If, she, if they would have lifted it at some point, then we would have seen uh, Margaret and Wopke Hoekstra willing to negotiate a coalition with either of the one. Uh, yeah. I, I really believe that. So yeah, I, I think GroenLinks, who... Uh, 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 GroenLinks, you know, wanted to uh, really desperately wants to yeah. finally start governing. They yeah. uh, the, uh, the the last coalition agreement uh, that we've seen in 2017 was a trauma for for GroenLinks. Uh, they yeah. really wanted to join that coalition. So this time they felt this is uh, finally our chance again. And yeah. I do think that they have, um, yeah, they 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 missed that chance again by uh, yeah. by by being so hard headed. I was thinking exactly the same thing because you know the thing about these six parties is that if you go back to I think 1982 
two when the CDR was formed from the old uh, confessional parties, like the Catholic uh, Party. Um, f- five of these six parties have formed every single government ever yeah. since. Some combination of those five parties. Kroon links are the one party in that six who've been desperate to govern for, all, for for at least you know fifteen twenty years now, and have got into government at every other level, like municipalities and city governments and uh, provin- provinces. But every single time the coalition talks come around um and the music stops they're the ones who are left without a chair yeah and uh uh yeah they really uh, they have the, themselves to blame i think um yeah. they had the perfect opportunity to join the coalition uh last time when they had 14 seats now they only have eight so they are going down but you know still they are required if they would join the the, the cabinet has a majority so yeah they w- they are again in the perfect opportunity to, i think Especially if they team up with Thesis and Sester in the negotiations, which they would naturally do, they would definitely win a lot of, uh, score a lot of points. So yeah, yeah it's um, it's a shame for them. Um, and a lot of people are criticizing Kaag now because, you know, she had campaigned on the idea of uh, having a new leadership uh, in place, getting a new leadership in place. Uh, the new administrative culture is also something she hammered on uh, yeah. many times. And uh, many people who voted uh, for her because of that are now... Um, disappointed that we're going to see a restart of of the current coalition something yeah. that she which is basically always a center, which basically center right coalition yeah, yeah and which she always so. said that isn't progressive enough and you know we really need yeah. a, a more progressive uh, a, a more progressive cabinet so yeah it's uh, uh she really needs to score some points in the uh formation talks uh um, yeah if she is willing to, if she uh, wants to be able to um, to bring uh, these people to her side, and remember, they only agreed to uh, uh, start negotiations, right? We don't have yeah. a cabinet yet. Some people think <laughs> or seem to think that that's that's the case. Anything can happen. Still, anything can happen. We can yeah. still end up with no government in in a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, looking at how long these negotiations lasted last time, uh, we still um, uh, uh, we still won't have a new government in uh, uh, in a couple of months. So yeah, yeah a lot of things can still happen yeah yeah and of course also um there's already a, a few kind of cracks appearing because uh, there's some dispute about whether Dayson Zestok and the Christian Union are going to renew this sort of non-aggression pact they had on uh, medical ethical issues yeah because Remkes uh, said that uh, this they will just prolong this agreement right not to address yeah. it uh, 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 not have the cabinet address these these issues but Sega has denied that this was actually agreed and uh, so yeah there's already some um, some uh, discrepancies uh, 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 between what, what's been agreed and what's been said in these meetings. So yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, it's not a great start. Yeah, and, and they don't have a majority in the Senate either. So Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, there's still... Uh, and uh, if you have these uh, uh, GroenLinks and um, uh, uh, PvdA who, you know, basically feel betrayed by their former ally Kaag now uh, with her U-turn, yeah. uh, they announced that they uh, will not want to have anything to do with the new cabinet uh, if it's a restart of the old coalition. They also rejected the suggestion they would uh, provide ministers for the new cabinet too, uh, announcing that they will go into the opposition together. So that also suggests that they are much less con- uh, uh, will 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 have a much less constructive attitude towards the cabinet in order to get uh, this majority in the Senate, um, which the cabinet uh, needs to pass bills as well. Right. So, yeah, it's um, uh, we will see how uh, how this will. Uh, Develop. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of horse trading. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. 
We passed another milestone in the coronavirus pandemic this week with news of the two millionth positive test. I don't think they want a car or anything, but uh, we, we, we passed the number. Altogether, this country of 17.3 million people has now Still had... 7 million to go to pass the uh, Sieberin van Linde number. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, they'll, yeah maybe they'll get Sieber van Linden's entire stock of face masks as a prize. <laughs> Altogether, this country of 17.3 million people has had now 2 million and 3,000 COVID cases in 19 months. According to the RFEM, just over 18,000 people have died, but the statistics agency CBS counted 27,000 on the basis of death certificates in the first 12 months, which is up to the hmm. start of March this year. The current numbers are a little more promising. On average, there were 1,632 cases per day in the last week, and that's down 7.5% uh, since the week before. Just over 450 people are in hospital now with COVID, including 114 intensive care. But the positive test rate has started to creep up again. Around 7.8% of all tests in the last week reflected an infection. But we are doing better than, say, this time last year when we had about over 3,000 cases a day now and we were well in on the upward curve of the second wave. It's almost as if vaccines work. Yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, or maybe it's just that the weather's better this September. Who knows? It could be an explanation as well. And you hear a lot of talks about the uh, so-called booster vaccines. Is there any news on that front? Yeah, from next week, around 200,000 people with immune disorders will be offered a third dose of the vaccine. Uh, NSA revealed that the government has also reserved 134 million to give everyone two more shots in 2022, but only if the Health Council decides they're necessary, which depends on how infections are going. Generally, the Netherlands has been less forthcoming with booster jabs than other countries such as Israel, where the whole population has been offered a third dose, and the UK, which is offering a booster to anyone who had their second vaccine more than six months ago, although it does depend on you having enough petrol in your car to get to the <laughs> vaccination centre, which uh, could be a problem. Oh, Brexit. What a mistake it was. Uh, and there's also been a court challenge to the coronavirus pass system. This was uh, this was a good contender of the OPEF of the week, but uh, unfortunately we had to discuss it in this, uh, this item. Yeah, there are all kinds of OPEF offshoots of, uh, of this uh, court case. Two lawyers in Breda brought a case in The Hague under the fast-track procedure. They argued that the test for entry system, which uh, now applies to all cafes, bars, restaurants, cinemas, sports stadiums, and uh, anywhere where you have to gather indoors, basically, discriminates against people who haven't been vaccinated, uh, even though at the moment you can get a free coronavirus test in the 24 hours before you go out. Uh, a judge is due to issue a ruling in that case next week. Also, employers have been told they won't face legal action for asking their staff if they've been vaccinated because uh, there's no legal precedent for it. Several companies, including car company Lease Plan, have said they'll only allow vaccinated staff into the office. Stichting Albert Nederland, which runs the Corona Pass system, said uh, the number of tests for entry trebled to over 200,000 in the week before the new rules came in. And the AVM said the vaccination rate started to rise again after stalling in recent weeks. So currently 81.7% of adults and 79% of people over 12 are fully vaccinated, which is two-thirds of the entire population. But some, some of those people who have been not vaccinated uh, have uh, been spending a lot of time outside uh, a restaurant in Utrecht this week, uh, Paul. <laughs> so to, to, to tell us all about uh, the Waku Waku or, or the Wapu Wapu uh, Wapu Wapu, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Waku Waku is a <laughs> vegan restaurant in Utrecht, yeah. quite a famous one, I have to say. And uh, they are among several restaurants and other places that announced that they will not be checking the QR codes of people who wanted to enter the restaurant. Yeah. And for some reason, this particular restaurant became the sort of symbol of the QR resistance. <laughs> uh, 
um, <laughs> there were a large group of people, vegans, who formed a chain around uh, the restaurant because uh, the police wanted to fine the owner for you know not uh, for breaking the QR rules. Refusing to check, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. He was refusing to check. He, they wanted to fine him, and the guests started to form a, a human chain around the restaurant. <laughs> that prompted uh, an enormous police presence uh, to come to uh, to the restaurant, mm. and in the past days, the restaurant became the sort of unofficial mecca of, of anti-QR protesters and yeah. there is this uh, very strange combination of vegans of wappies, <laughs> of conspiracy theorists, of uh, Nazis, of fascists that are yeah. protesting against these measures It really is a motley crew isn't it? Yeah, It is, yeah. it is, it is extraordinary and also um, uh, the municipality closed the restaurants or they changed the locks of the restaurants In a kind of echo of uh, the, uh, the, the the breakdown of uh, Forum for Democracy oh, for Democracy yeah. indeed, that's what it reminded me of and uh, that prompted a online um, how do you call that the, the whole thing went viral basically there were loads of hashtags weren't there about sort of QR crazy and uh, absolutely yeah, and there were like a, yeah. was a crowdfunding campaign in order to you know re- release the damages of, of the closing of the restaurant yeah. which uh, over 200,000 euros in donations uh, came in in yeah. a matter of days uh, and also Esther Auerhand the leader of uh, Partij voor de Dieren was involved because she uh, felt it was, uh, you know, she she spoke out on Twitter uh, in favor of the restaurant owners. And uh, it turned out that one of the restaurant owners is uh, also an active member of the Partij voor de Dieren and was also a lijst doer. So someone who was uh, on the bottom of the list in order to attract a lot of votes without actually wanting to uh, become an MP. So, yeah, there was all sorts of mixed interests and uh, it it, it was a complete (laughs) Chaos. It was gruesomely fascinating, wasn't it? Definitely. Yeah. I, I'm left wondering, are vegans more likely to become fascists or are fascists more likely to become vegans? Which, <laughs> which comes first? It's a chicken and egg scenario, isn't it? I also would never have guessed yeah. there were that many vegans in the Netherlands um, no. until, yeah, uh, well, until I saw these protests. Well, aggressive vegans. I never knew there were so many aggressive vegans. Yeah, yeah it's very strange. And then also the, the whole crowdfunding aspect of it, which is I think is really fascinating because it seems to be a pattern that you've seen with uh, Willem Engel as well, where it's almost as if you launch a court case knowing you've absolutely got no chance of winning whatsoever, but you will stir up a lot of outrage, you get people to donate money to you, sure enough your court case fails, but you've actually brought in more money in donations than the legal action cost you. Yeah, it's a profitable enterprise, yeah. It's almost like yeah, they're doing yeah. it on purpose, it's like a Vadim model. My favourite aspect of this on social media, of course, was that during the court case, during the injunction hearing, the lawyers for this restaurant said, uh, we cannot bring ourselves to discriminate against people in any way on medical grounds. Um, and then a lot of people picked up a review of this restaurant in our day in which it said quite plainly they have no disabled access. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's also uh, yeah, interesting. Um... Perhaps they can spend some of that money in donations on a disabled toilet. Just a thought. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Police and custom officials have intercepted 1,400 kilos of cocaine hidden in a consignment of cocoa <laughs> at the port of Rotterdam uh, on Wednesday. Uh, I thought, yeah, it's an interesting choice to hide your coke in, in, in a cocoa. consignment of cocoa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess it saves money on, uh, on, on, on the labeling, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, well, it, not that they have to be careful on uh, spending too much because the drugs has had a street value of 105 million euros mm. and they were found in 
in a container from Colombia and it was destined for a company in France. Uh, the drugs have since been destroyed by the police. The haul is the latest in a string of large seizures at the port, which was recently described by Europol as one of the new epicenters of the European cocaine trade. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that they said a new epicenter yeah. because, you know, we, I've been hearing about uh, the port of Rotterdam being, uh, you know, a major import hub of drugs for my entire life now. So, yeah, I've, I was kind of surprised with that uh, with that little word. Yeah. An- another consignment of four tons was found just two weeks ago as well in the port of Rotterdam. And Amsterdam Mayor Femke Halsema commented earlier this month that it would be more efficient to tackle the smuggling networks and money trafficking than to intercept cocaine coming into Rotterdam. We are focusing on the kilos and the puppets, but they are supported by networks and dangerous criminals who are in cahoots with accountants, intermediaries and sometimes lawyers, the mayor told Current Affairs Programme Newsuur. Caretaker Prime Minister Mark Rutte said people who use cocaine should also take responsibility. People sniffing their lines of coke are part of the system of serious crimes, uh, which generates billions of euros and underestimates the rule of law, Rutte said during the recent Budget uh, Day debate. Was he looking at any particular MP as he said this, do you think? <laughs> yeah, I th- I'm sure he was, uh, you know, in the corner of his eyes, he was looking at one uh, particular MP who was sitting Party in the leader. back of the chamber, yeah. who was probably not even present in the room when he said that. A Dutch custom officers impounded some 48,000 kilos of cocaine in the ports and at Schiphol airport last year. That's a rise of 24% compared to 2019. Seizures at labs are also going up. Last July, police busted the biggest cocaine laboratory ever found in the Netherlands, arresting 17 men, including 13 Colombians in the process. And in other underworld news, it turns out uh, Mark Rutte is apparently a target uh, for criminals. Yes, the news came as quite a shock, I have to say. The Telegraph reported on Tuesday uh, that Mark Rutte has been given extra personal protection amid concerns that gangsters involved in the cocaine trade may be plotting to kidnap him. A uh, very strange story indeed. Mm. Uh, intelligence agencies acted after so-called spotters, uh, those are people hired by criminals to prepare for an attack or kidnap, were observed in Rutte's vicinity. Uh, security services declined to comment on the news, but NOS and New Pintanel confirmed the reports through their own uh, sources. Uh, Rutte has kept a security detail uh, famously very, uh, very low-key during his 11 years as prime minister. Uh, if you've ever walked or cycled around in The Hague, then the chances are very high that you uh, bumped into Mark Rutte at some point yeah. because he's uh, he's always walking and cycling alone or or at least it looks like he is uh, walking there alone through The Hague without visible security. Um, and, and the story got a bit stranger, didn't it? But, uh, when the identity of one of the possible uh, spotters that they were talking about turned out to be a councillor from The Hague with a very colourful past. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure if he was actually a suspect as a spotter, but he yeah. was in the vicinity of uh, of Mark Rutte, who was at a gym, and he was behaving very strangely. <laughs> we are talking about Arnoud van Dorn, mm. who was at one time a PVV uh, city councillor in The Hague, anti-Muslim PVV party, mm-hmm. let's emphasize that. He later converted to Islam, <laughs> yes. founded his own party yeah. called Partij van de Eenheid. Yeah. He was involved in numerous scandals. For example, he provided teenagers with drugs in order to 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 catch, or that was his story, to yeah. catch uh, other drug criminals, uh, bigger drug criminals. Um, remember, I think it was an op-ed earlier this year when a candidate of his party, because he also took part in the Tweede Kamer election, yeah. was uh, scrapped from the list because he had a business selling penis-shaped cakes. <laughs> for example <laughs> yes yeah. yeah penis bait gate 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He has a remarkable life story. Yeah. But if you live in The Hague and you follow the local news there, he causes a lot of upheaf yeah. on a regular basis. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange fellow. He was released the same day, by the way. Uh, yeah. He was just acting weird on the street, which seems to be, uh, you know... Which happens quite a lot in The Hague, isn't it? I think last night somebody was detained by the police for trying to set fire to the doors of the Riddersaal. Yeah, okay, but that person actually <laughs> did something. Arnold von Dorn was just walking yeah. on the street yeah. and just being him. Just hanging around Mark Rutte for, for no clear reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, being his weird self. Yeah, so uh, he was released, so he was probably not involved in anything of this. But uh, yeah, it remains uh, it remains a strange fellow indeed. Yeah. And also a former Ajax player was uh, convicted for uh, uh, threatening Mark Rutte on social media. Yes, yeah, Brian Roy. Yeah. yeah we played, uh, t- I think, 23 international matches for the Netherlands as well. Uh, yeah, but it uh, seems now to fall on hard times and uh, was uh, convicted by a court of uh, uh, threatening uh, Mark Rutter um, on Twitter. I think he said something like, uh, you won't sleep tonight. Yeah, and, and, and he's also said some uh, some other nasty stuff. Yeah, he's become an anti-vaxxer, hasn't he, uh, Brian Roy, basically. He was upset with the continuing corona lockdown measures. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Mark Rutter didn't seem to be bothered by it. He, uh, he was his uh, happy self. Yeah, his usual uh, smiling the past self. Weeks. Yeah, yeah he's, he's still been waving his apple around. If you're looking for a more ethical destination for your hard-earned cash than the international narcotics trade, why not become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast on Patreon? For as little as a dollar or a euro a month, you can help us to help you stay informed about which coalition option Desus is stuck backing this week. As ever, we're very grateful for the support of all our lovely patrons throughout the pandemic and the interminable government formation process. Uh, thank you so much for staying with us. I'm not quite sure how you manage it. <laughs> yeah, and certainly I imagine you probably had a few more glasses of uh, Chateau Glittersal than uh, than uh, Johan Remkes in the course of the last <laughs> six months. And we're always happy to answer your questions about life, culture and politics in the Netherlands if we can. If you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast, log on to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Dutch News NL. Sports news. And we'll start with Max Verstappen's remarkable drive in the Russian Grand Prix, where he moved through from last place on the starting grid to finish second. It was his birthday yesterday, uh, Max Verstappen. So he was 24, so presumably he had a big circle party and then drove round and round the inside of the circle <laughs> at high speed. Did he, did he at some point uh, set on someone's head? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Verstappen, you remember, was penalised three places on the grid uh, because of that incident uh, that uh, took him and Lewis Hamilton out of the Italian Grand Prix and ended with his car parked on Lewis Hamilton's head. His Red Bull team <laughs> knew they'd need to replace Verstappen's engine before the end of the season, which would incur a back-of-the-grid penalty, so they just decided to bundle it all up together. So Verstappen started from last place and had climbed to a pretty creditable seventh when, with about five laps to go, the heavens just opened. And he made a very good call going into the pits, one of the first drivers to go into the pits for rain tyres. And when he came out, he was able to pass all the cars in front of him except for Hamilton, who coasted yeah. to his 100th Grand Prix win. But I kind of felt there was a lot of commentary about Hamilton winning 100 Grand Prix and sort of overshadowed the sort of quite good tactical drive by uh, Verstappen during the race. Yeah. yeah. The other of which he's now still only two points behind uh, Hamilton in the Drivers' Championship and he's got a fresh engine for the rest of the season. Yeah, you could say it was a really good weekend for, for Max Verstappen. I think if you had asked him last week if he was only going to be uh, two points behind Lewis Hamilton, yeah. he would have signed it immediately. He would have taken the deal. Yeah, it was a very uh, spectacular race in Sochi. Because uh, it all just fell apart in the last five laps, didn't it, when the rain yeah, came? Yeah, for Lando yeah. Norris, who did 
did yeah. very well in qualifying and also at the race. But you know, he was. Uh, it started to rain and he uh, refused to go in, uh, and that really cost him the win, yeah. probably yeah. his first win. So yeah, it was. Uh, it was very. Uh, I felt really sorry for Lando Norris, and yeah. uh, he was definitely the driver of the day. Yeah. But Max Verstappen also did remarkably well because he started at the back of the grid and he he, he ended on on uh, he ended uh, on P two. So yeah, it's insane. We we still have eight races to go or something, yeah. and uh, uh, in the ch- the championship is just so close yeah. Yeah, form- together. It's yeah. just um, yeah. Yeah, Formula One is is really exciting this uh, this year, which doesn't happen so often. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a less uh, good week for another Dutch sporting icon, wasn't it? Yes, you'll be referring here to the former World Darts champion uh, Raymond van Barneveld. So uh, we're, we're really uh, changing gear here from Formula One. Van Barneveld's been accused of match fixing. Mm. Uh, he was competing in an online darts tournament last March. Darts is one of the very few sports that uh, you could do with social distancing. After he lost his opening match to Martin Adams, uh, the sports regulator took over control of the tournament, at which point Van Barneveld uh, dropped out, saying he had enough. On the face of it, he wasn't in very good form. He played one of the worst matches of his career against Adams. He lost 5-0, but the regulator's more interested in the fact that around €60,000 was staked on Adams winning the match in the hours before uh, they started throwing Mm. the darts. Which was rather suspicious, because the other matches that night uh, only got around €700 in betting. The incident was featured in an NOS podcast called Gefixed, which has been looking into match-fixing across various sports. Van Barneveld rejected any suggestion he was involved in rigging games. He said, I'm strongly against match-fixing, I don't like it, and I never let myself be bought. Except by uh, Tonson Radiator Foley, which is one of his sponsors, <laughs> and that he tweets regularly, suspiciously enthusiastic about um, on a regular basis. Yeah, he's got a shop about uh, 100 metres from my house. Oh, really? Yeah. He sells dart boards, darts trophies, uh, all kinds of dart stuff. But lately he's branched out into board games as well. So I don't know how well it's doing. So is there any uh, football news this week? Well, it's all going pretty swimmingly for Ajax at the moment. Uh, the uh, Amsterdam has had a pretty comfortable 2-0 win in their second Champions League match against Besiktas. They're also three points clear in the Eredivisie after beating Groningen 3-0, while PSV lost at home to Willem II. That result means Willem II leapfrogged their Brabant rivals into second place in the table. Better news for PSV in Europe, where they beat Sturm Graz 4-1 in the Europa League. In the other European competition, the Conference League, there were wins for Feyenoord <laughs> and Hazard Alkmaar, but Vitesse Arnhem went down 2-1 to French side Rennes. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, the Conference League, I don't understand it. and yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Nobody does. Some 200 jumbo supermarkets will be opening up tills where clients can stop for a chat rather than pay for their shopping as quickly as possible. Will they be able to ask if they can change the music on the radio? I knew you were going to uh, <laughs> mention the dire straits. Uh, I, I, you can, I think you can talk with them about your trauma, your dire straits I'd, I'd like uh, trauma. Yeah. Sultans of Swing. <laughs> yeah, I think surely they are They are meant for that as well. Yeah. Um, the first Kletskassa, or Chat Checkout, as it has been dubbed, was opened in 2019 in Vlijmen in Brabant. Its success prompted the supermarket group to plan for another 200 to be operative by this time next year, particularly in shops and areas where lonely is an issue so yeah I'm, I'm, I think uh, loneliness is an issue in your neighborhood because yeah. uh, Raymond van Barnemel doesn't have any customers in his store yeah. so I'm sure you, the, your local jumbo will also open a chat checkout yeah and people, people are whistling along to Sultans of Swing which has to be a sign <laughs> of distress <laughs> 
Um, many people, the elderly in particular, can feel lonely. The Netherlands has some 1.3 million people over the age of 75, over half of whom have said they regularly feel lonely. And as a family business and supermarket chain, we have a central role in society, Jumbo said. Our shops are a meeting place, and that means we can do something to combat loneliness. The Kletskassa is just one of the things we can do. The supermarket chat checkout is part of a health ministry program to combat loneliness. The initiative is aimed at picking up the signs of loneliness among the elderly early and inviting companies, organizations and local councils to work together to come up with creative solutions. Jumbo says they are proud that our staff wants to work in the chat checkouts and help uh, combat loneliness. It's a small gesture, but it's a valuable one, particularly in a world that is becoming more digital and faster. Apart from the till, a number of Jumbo supermarkets also introduced a chat corner where locals can come to have coffee and eat a delicious Jumbo stroopwafel. That is worth it just for the stroke waffle alone I exactly think. Yeah. yeah yeah so yeah there's a lot of um, uh, experts feel that uh, this is, will not be enough to solve the loneliness among the elderly which is probably true but you know no. it's uh, i think all bits are helpful yeah uh, and i don't think uh, jumbo claims that this will uh, in any way uh, solve this problem for this uh, what is it uh, 1.3 million people yeah yeah so um, they don't claim that they just want to uh, want to be helpful yeah. uh, in any way they can just want to do their bit and we should applaud them for it yeah it's a nice gesture. If you've seen a supersized wasp this autumn, give the insect police a buzz. <laughs> the Stop Invasiva Exultant hotline say they're not wasps, but Asian hornets, which kill and eat honeybees and other insects, and have first spotted in the Netherlands back in 2017. And because they're classed as an invasive species, the authorities are obliged to find and destroy their nests. The giant bugs, which are around twice the size of a regular wasp, have been spotted this year at 16 locations around the Netherlands. Three nests have been discovered, including one in Eindhoven, and attention is also focusing on Meppel in Drenthe, which is the most northerly location where the hornets have been sighted. <laughs> wow, I mean, I'm looking at pictures of these hornets, yeah. and I have to say they are approximately the size of a hunnebed, so I'm sure they will feel <laughs> uh, at home in Drenthe. Yeah. Now, they are enormous. It's uh, huge things, yeah. Yeah, but hornets generally don't bother you as much as wasps because they're not after your, you know, your picnic. Uh, they're not. Mm. They don't have that okay. taste for sweet things. But if they do sting, okay. it's pretty nasty. Yeah, um, and it's also not just insects that are expanding their horizons, right? No, there's an adventurous walrus uh, doing a, a tour of uh, of the coast. Apparently, it was spotted last week near the island of Schiermonnikoog, and now it's turned up on the Zuiderpier in Harlingen. People have been urged to keep a distance of 100 metres from the animal, uh, though presumably you don't have to wear a face mask anymore. It's the first time in 23 years that a walrus has been spotted on the Dutch coast. It's thought to have travelled here via Denmark and Germany. Uh, now, Denmark's still code yellow, so really it should quarantine for 10 days and uh, take a COVID <laughs> test as well. Uh, sea Mammal yeah. Rescue Centre Peter Buren said the animal was basically healthy apart from some scratches to its front flippers, and if it was left alone, it would probably find its way back to the Arctic, which is uh, where they usually live in its own time, once it's stocked up on stop valves in Geneva and perhaps dropped into Yimbo for a for a chat. Yeah, they should really, uh, I mean, opvang een eigen regio, right? Just yeah. stay where you are and yeah. uh, leave us alone. But uh, yeah, it was first spotted in uh, near Schiermonnik Oog and now in Harlingen. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one it, it wants to take the boat to Terschelling, I think, to visit the next water island. Yes, maybe it's when it's done, when it's done that, once it's ticked off all, all the islands from its bucket list, it, it will, will, it will uh, go home. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, the Wadden Islands, they start in Denmark and then yeah. they move to Germany and then uh, to the Netherlands. So yeah, yeah, I think he is. My theory is that he's just touring the Wadden Islands. Yeah, yeah, could be. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week. Music